Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by the new podcast, Anomaly. Vanessa, one of my favorite YouTube holes to go down is like role-play fantasy tabletop multiplayer games where I don't really know any of the people playing, but I love watching them have an adventure. Well, Casper, then you would love Anomaly. It's a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land once vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. I am genuinely going to download this right now. This sounds amazing. (laughs) This podcast combines traits of a great dungeon master and those of a talented meditation guide, weaving tales of fantasy that stretch the imagination while you learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, and relieve stress. This is available now on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. It's Anomaly, spelled with an I-E at the end and not a Y. Go to S-E-E-K-A-N-O-M-A. L-I-E dot com. That's SeekAnomaly.com to find out more. Chapter 3. The Advance Guard. I've just been attacked by Dementors and I might be expelled from Hogwarts. I want to know what's going on and when I'm going to get out of here. Harry copied these words onto three separate pieces of parchment the moment he reached the desk in his dark bedroom. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Vanessa, this week in our Every Flavor Bean bonus segment, we are going to be discussing sneaking around, being deceptive, times in our past when we have tried to conceal ourselves or escape detection. We're going to tell stories of our own stealth in honor of our theme this week and in honor of the content of this chapter. So I can't wait to hear your stealthy story. Oh my God, I'm so excited to tell it because my mom... (laughs) thinks this is a story about her heroism and it's not (laughs) just very excited to tell my version of the story and then of course everyone you can review us on apple podcasts if you do we'll shout you out and you can subscribe for ad free episodes so vanessa you're telling us a story this week about our theme of deception can i trust you to tell us a story i think so i think so okay good let's hear it So when I was in the fifth grade in Mrs. Birch's class, the fire alarm went off one day and we lined up in our little lines and I waved at my little brother. He waved at me. And then very calmly, everybody was like, you know what? We're going to get on buses and we're going to go take these buses to the local church. 
And we were just like, okay, I guess that's what we're doing today. And we got on the buses and we went to our local church and we hung out in the parking lot. Basically, then we got sent home early from school that day and it was a little chaotic and a little weird, but kind of fun. You know, we just like in the middle of the day got pulled from class and got taken home. And that was really the vibe. It turns out that most of my elementary school kind of burnt down that day. There was the Malibu fires (laughs) that were raging through the canyon. And like our campus, the foliage got scorched. Only one building was lost. But like the fire was like licking our heels as we got evacuated calmly off campus. And I tell this story about deception because I cannot imagine how stressed out these elementary school teachers were as they like, again, so calmly boarded us with our like little like Hello Kitty backpacks. Mine was a Hello Kitty backpack and it was awesome. And like gave us very calm instructions and really just made it sound like this was an impromptu field trip to a parking lot that like none of us understood, but we were like vaguely okay with. And this is an act of deception, right? Like this is the deception of adults to children. And this is deception with one like very strong logistical reason, which is that it is going to be more orderly and it is going to be safer if kids aren't scared. And if the kids are just lining up and like playing patty cake on the bus and being like, it's weird that our fifth grade teacher is driving the school bus, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And like, just kind of, okay. And so it's just so funny looking back on this because because of the deception that you know, the administration of my elementary school got in on this like fire is just like not a traumatic thing in my memory or my younger brother's memory, right? Like it was a fast moving fire that destroyed hundreds of houses and, you know, just acres and acres of the Santa Monica mountains. And we remember nothing except kind of a pleasant like afternoon in which we got to miss some school. And I was just thinking about all of the ways and reasons that we deceive, right? I think that deception has this really negative, you know, aura around it, but we deceive for the sake of privacy. We deceive in order to manage our own reputations. We deceive in order to make other people feel safe. And I think that deception is something that needs to be done with a tremendous amount of care. But I don't know. I just kind of think looking back. They shouldn't have been more honest with us as to what's going on, right? Like, as driving away from the school, they shouldn't have been like, whoo, we just escaped near death. And I'm just, like, really grateful for this school administration's deception. Yeah, I think you're right, Vanessa. We deceive all the time, right? And through different ways. I mean, there are, like, lies of omission. It sounds like your teachers just didn't tell you what was going on and just let you believe a different version of the story rather than, like, telling you, oh, there's a magical parking lot nearby. (laughs) It does tend to have a pejorative sense. And in fact, the etymological roots are pejorative. The sieve part of deceive comes from the Latin for to take, like to capture. And the day was a pejorative. So de kipere meant to like take in somebody through deception, to beguile them or to ensnare them through trickery. And there's a little bit of a sense. I mean, obviously that sounds negative, but like you, your class of students, you're 
your students, your classmates were ensnared by the trickery of your teachers, <laughs> right? Which is exactly what they wanted. They wanted to be able to take you all away from there, which is exactly what their deception served. So you're right. I, you know, I had been reading this chapter mostly with an eye towards deception as pejorative. But in this chapter, we can see that they're using it for good purposes, right? That the deceptions that they undertake, the characters in this chapter undertake, are meant to achieve a greater good. I would like to be clear about how dangerous this fire was. I just Googled it and it is an LA fire and it made it to the cover of the New York Times and is described as a fierce and fast moving wall of fire. And we just got on the buses. Yeah. Matt, it's time for the 30 second recap. I can't wait for what you've got for us on your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, so Harry writes this note because he wants people to tell him what's going on. And he's like, I'll hear from him tomorrow. And he doesn't hear from him for a long time. And then uh, Vernon says, hey, we won a competition because our lawn's great. And you stay locked in the room. And he leaves and there's noises downstairs. And he goes downstairs and there's an advanced guard there. And there's a bunch of people that we meet. And Moody's there and Remus Lupin's there. And Tonks is there. And Tonks goes up to the bedroom and helps him pack. And then they get in there. They wait for the sign. And they get up in the air and they fly around. And they circle and do all this evasive maneuvering. And they land in London at 12 Grimald Place. But we don't get to see it yet. Well done. Thanks, Vanessa. I'm getting the hang of this 30-second recap. Yeah. Was it because Colette came on and crushed it? You were like, oh, oh no, it's Mm. doable. Did she crush it? Yeah. (laughs) Did did she? Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. She did. She crushes everything. I'd like to hear you crush it. Okay. Can I count you in? Please do. Three, two, one, go. The Dursleys lock Harry in his room again with limited bathroom access and they are putting food through a flap and Harry is just like like a lion in a cage getting so mad and then this like whole group of people comes in order to get Harry to move. We meet Tonks, we meet Daedalus Diggy and he's like we've met before when you were one. And they take Harry through the clouds and they land in London and it's there's a note uh, the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, we're introduced to so many characters. I forgot to mention Kingsley Shacklebolt. We meet also, we meet lots of great characters who are going to play such an important role in the next few books. And some characters that I'm pretty sure never come back. So Matt, to me, like the most obvious, just like cut and dry deception in this chapter that gets to the etymology that you discussed and the pejorative way that we tend to think about it is that the Order of the Phoenix deceives the Dursleys into thinking that they have been nominated and are a finalist for the Best Suburban Yard Award. And, like, this is a completely reasonable deception. Just getting the Dursleys out of the way genuinely seems to be for their own good, right? Like, and for Harry's good. The Order of the Phoenix feels as though Harry needs to be transported safely and under cloak of night, and we can talk more about that. And so I understand the desire to get the Dursleys out of the house. I even understand the desire to get them out of the house by means of deception, right? You can imagine Dumbledore writing to the Dursleys and being like, hey, can you please be gone for an hour? And the Dursleys being like, no way, right? And like being difficult. But I am wondering what you think about it. It borders on prank to me in a way that I don't love. Yeah, I think it is a little bit of a prank. I I mean, one of the things about it that I like as an effective, deceptive act is that, like, it's believable. They come up with a really good story. 
right? Like the, the wizards are not always good at understanding Muggle culture, and like <laughs> this is this is actually a pretty deep Muggle cut, right? They're like, oh, of course, there's a competition for best suburban lawn. Of course, someone's going to hand out an award for that. Like the Dursleys in particular could believe this. And I was going to say that this is uniquely good, but then I started thinking of like other examples. It might be that the Dursas are also very gullible and susceptible to these kinds of pranks, because if they had given an award that was obviously false, like kindest child award, I feel like the Dursas would have been like, yes, Dudley, of course you won this. You are the kindest child, right? Like they would fall for a lot of these pranks just because they're, I think they're so desperate to be recognized for being exceptional in all their normality. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good, it's a good prank and it's a good deception, but I like that. It's a, I don't mind that it's a prank. I feel like... The folks who designed this know how Harry's being treated, right? I feel like, you know what? If the Dursleys get a little disappointed on their night out, then that's okay. That's a little, there's a little bit of retaliatory bonus to the deception here. Yes. I have a yes and, and I have a yes theory. First yes theory, Tonks came up with this. Her dad was muggle-born. She has an understanding oh, yep. of the muggle world, right? Yep. And she's just like, I don't know. This is something that means a lot to muggles. They're weird. Yeah. And now time for my yes, but, Matt. I Again, this is just like a lack of diplomacy. If at any level we are trying to build a relationship of trust for the Dursleys, why not send them to something that they like actually win? Like they won a free meal at Chili's. Like they love winning. And I it just feels as though it could be something where they don't arrive, go, this doesn't exist at all, and then come home and find out that it is clearly something from the wizarding world because there is a note being like, we took your kid. Right? I, I just feel like... I think I think the wizards are done with diplomacy, don't you? Like, they, I feel like, the, like Harry's been in this house for 14 years or whatever, right? They, they know, like, what it's like there. They're sending him there only because it's the one place he's actually safe from Voldemort. I think they're... Most of them are out of patience with the Drizzlers. And I think we see that at the end of the last chapter, right? With the holler, which is just like, the holler is, this isn't diplomacy. We're telling you what's what, right? You must do this. And I think that they're just, yeah, I think that their minds are on other things. So maybe not ideal. I think you're right, maybe not ideal. But I also don't necessarily fault them for like not trying to make inroads or gestures of of relationship building anymore. Because they, they, I think they doubt that it's really possible. And what they're really trying to do is just keep Harry safe, as safe as possible. Yes. And to that point, like expediency, definitely doing something that will without a doubt get them out of the house rather than being like, oh, the Chili's thing wasn't enough is the right way to go. I understand that being like, and I'm done with diplomacy. Yeah. But in either case, Vanessa, like you say, I think it's if you're trying to build a relationship, not ideal for expediency, maybe practical here. But the reason it works practically is because the Dursleys are uniquely susceptible to this kind of deception because of their pridefulness, because they want to be the best at being muggles. I mean, one of the things that we also notice in this chapter, to move on to a different example, is that other characters in this chapter are very concerned about being deceived and actually are not as susceptible to deception. You know, when Harry comes down the stairs and sees Mad-Eye Moody, he says, is this Mad-Eye Moody? Because actually, yeah. I've only ever seen the real Mad-Eye Moody for a, like a day, right? And he like registers in his yeah. head that like, oh, identity is not as obvious here because of the, he has some history here. He has some prior experience. And Moody, 
in turn, when Harry comes down the stairs, is like, how do we know this is actually Harry and not some person pretending to be Harry? Probably because of what just happened to him. <laughs> he was buried in a box <laughs> for a year. And so Remus asks a question that only Harry would know in order to verify, right? And so there is like, there's a there's a heightened awareness of the possibility of deception in this situation. So they, they do become more cautious, right? But you're right. It's not a guarantee. It's not like a, it's not a safeguard. And in fact, the trick of deception, the reason why it means like ensnaring or beguiling in the, in the etymological sense is you're trying to find that place where a person is most easily tricked, where, where their guards are down or where they have the least suspicion in order to take advantage of that. But Matt, what is so interesting is that because this group is all afraid of the same kind of deception, their checking in on one another actually makes them trust each other more and is actually a bonding thing. Moody's like, how do I know that you're Harry Potter? And Lupin is like, Harry, what is your Patronus? And Harry's like, stag. And Lupin's like, yep, that's him. And that actually shows an intimacy between Lupin and Harry. We think of assuming bad intentions is always creating distance. And I think this calls us to the fact that as long as you handle it the way that, you know, the Order of the Phoenix does by saying, hey, I'm skeptical of you, right? Like, there's this, like, honesty about the concern about deception, and therefore it's actually an opportunity for them to come together. And we think of that a lot, right? Expressions like thick as thieves or underground groups, right? Where, or, you know, even groups of people who serve in the army together, right? These are groups of people who are incredibly afraid of a certain level of deception outside of their group, and therefore are incredibly bonded to one another because of that fear. And I'm not saying that being bonded over fear is like a goal, but I do think that that's part of what makes the order so close is like they are afraid of the same deceptions. Yeah, I think that's right. And I'm not even sure it's, you know, assuming bad intention of one another. It's actually like it's recognizing that we share a threat, right? Like, oh, I love that that reframe. Right. And so instead of like, oh, I'm assuming that you're a bad person and I want to make sure you're not, it's more like, listen, we both know this is risky and we're keeping each other safe. It's almost more like a, I'm going to keep you safe and you're going to keep me safe. And like, I'm perfectly willing to be checked by you, which is why it builds mutuality and trust, like like you mm-hmm. said. But there are places here in this chapter where there is that same kind of suspicion, but it's not trust building, right? Like Harry is wondering why people are not writing him back and he's imagining all the great things they're doing without him or all the things that he ought to know that they that he doesn't know but that they know and aren't telling him. Like in there, it's not like, oh, we're both under the same threat. It's more like, we are under the same threat. Why aren't they telling me things, right? And it must be reasons that bear out badly for me. Yeah, Harry, understandably, is just like very skeptical in the world right now, right? And What's amazing about Harry is that he's not wrong. He's not assuming good intentions, but he's not wrong that he's being deceived. He's like, I'm getting these like half-baked letters from Ron and Hermione. They are deceiving me. And, you know, we know from chapter one that they are admitting to that, right? They are like, hey, can't tell you more because Dumbledore says we should be scared that these letters will be intercepted. So even though they are being open about what is going on, Harry is like, you all are in on it together. There is a conspiracy to keep me out of the loop. And all of that is true. What is not true is that it's because of all of the negative self-talk that Harry is doing, right? It is not because they don't trust him. It's not because they think he can't take it. It's not because they don't think that he's actually the person at the center of this. 
it's because logistically, like they live in a world in which it is not safe for them to do that, or they feel as though it's not safe for them to do that. And so it's the personalization of the deception that is the problem here. And that strikes me as something that's very true in real life, right? When you're around a kid and they're like, something is going on in this house. And it's like, yes, but like, it's not your job to know that we're worried about paying the electric bill this month, right? Like, yes, we are deceiving you, but we are deceiving you because actually this is a need to know basis and you're out of that loop. And so I think that it can be very frustrating to be on the outside and know that you don't know something, but not know what you don't know. But we're going to find out that it's actually for a really good reason that there is this deception happening. Yeah, it, partly at least, right? But I, the more that we talk yeah. about it, the more it just occurs to me that this is a really great theme with which to begin this book. Because for so much of the book, the ministry believes that Harry's deceiving the world, right? And and they punish him for it really cruelly, as we're going to see throughout the book. But then at the end of the book, we also realize that Dumbledore has been deceiving Harry, that there is this prophecy, <laughs> Right. And neither can live while the other survives like that. There's a deeper deception. It's not just to keep you safe. It's also because there is this prophecy and Harry, you are at the middle of it. And that's a deeper like level of misrepresentation and deception that I feel like maybe Harry is already intuiting here. Like he knows that there are plans going on that he's not party to and that he maybe deserves to be party to. But he's not going to be until far later in the book. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, listeners. This is Naomi Westwater. You may know me from my previous classes at Not Sorry. I'm dropping into your feed today to let you know about an upcoming course I'm running starting March 17th called Creating Daily Ritual, Tarot as a Sacred Practice. In this course, I will teach you about the history and meaning of the cards in the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck and model how they can be used as a tool for self-reflection and creativity. Through lecture, discussion with your classmates, and solo journaling, I will aim to help you develop your individual connection with tarot, this ancient tool for meaning-making. If you're looking to elevate your daily ritual, please join me starting Sunday evening, March 17th, for six weeks of habit-building, learning, and community. Head to NotSorryWorks.com for more information. And be sure to check out our sliding scale pricing and scholarships listed on the website. That's NotSorryWorks.com. Matt, the last thing that I think we absolutely have to talk about while we're discussing this theme is the deception around getting Harry from Little Winging to London to Grimald Place. And there's just like out and out deception that's very intentional. And 
you know, Moody is very safety oriented. And so there is a disillusionment charm, right? Where he's like, come on over here, Harry. Now I got to disillusion you. And what I love about this deception is that there is like a consideration of multiple forms of deception. They're like the invisibility cloak. That's not going to work well enough. It's going to fly off of you. The port key is actually a form of travel. It's not a form of deception because we would have to like register it in this and that way. It is actually key that the world does not know where Harry is. And simultaneously, maybe more importantly, at least just as importantly, that muggles don't see wizards, right? And so they have to fly pretty high in order to stay out of the sight of wizards. And this is like, this is a lot of people who have to fly high. This is like 4 million people who come to move Harry from Surrey to London. And what is interesting to me about this deception is that it takes sacrifice, right? Like, it's really cold. They are flying through clouds, right? Like, Tonks is freezing and complaining about it. And Harry is like, I wish I'd brought a jacket and my hands are freezing to my broom, right? Like, it actually is uncomfortable to have to deceive because in order to deceive, you have to do things outside of the normal ways that we act in the world and the ways that we act normally in the world have, like, the deepest grooves and are the easiest to fall into and jump into and just ride. And so, yeah, I just think we see like the active sacrifice of deception. One of the things I wondered when I was reading was like, they go to so many lengths to try to deceive, to try to hide themselves. And then like the sign that it's safe to go are fireworks. Like there are sparks shot into the sky. I feel like there's gotta be some other magical way to communicate with each other other than like the most public way like if you're a Death Eater wondering when people are escaping by broom, you're, you're going to be looking in the sky for this kind of thing. It, and that led me to think that like there seems to be some disagreement among the advanced guard about how much deception is necessary. right? Moody, probably because of what he's been through, not just in the past year, although certainly in the past year, but maybe just in his life as an Auror, is super, super cautious. Like He wants to keep doubling back. He wants to keep doing all these maneuvers. As you say, Tonks, who's less experienced, is freezing and is like, at the end, she's just like, enough, let's land. Like, we we are safe enough, right? And it made me wonder, you know, kind of like, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. Like, if you undertake deception, but no one's there to be deceived, like, have you (laughs) deceived anyone, right? Like, they're doing all these maneuvers. And I think some of the advanced guard are wondering, like, why are we still doing this? Let's just land and get Harry in the house. Yeah. Yeah, I have a different read on the fireworks. When fireworks go off, like, on, like, March 4th, right? Like, when there's just, like, no reason for fireworks to go off, I don't think, ah, someone is trying to deceive me. I think, oh, a 14-year-old went to New Hampshire. Yeah. Right? Like, and so I there is something about, like, hiding in plain sight. Yeah, that's true. That's like, true. Like, ha ha Like, this is the last thing that they would expect us to do. I always just assume kids who are bored and don't understand danger personally. But I think that you're absolutely right, that there is this real disagreement about the level of deception that is needed here. And again, I think that this is like a pretty common thing that we all go through, right? Of like, how much should we tell whoever about whatever, right? Like, I know that my parents, when they found out my dad was sick, it was like a really active conversation as to how much they should tell their three small children and how much they should 
keep from us by active deception? Should they lie? Should they let things get revealed over time, right? Like, and there are obviously times where deception is really horrible. Um, Secret keeping to protect yourself, not to protect others. But I really love your point that there can be reasonable disagreement about how to deceive, how much to deceive. I mean, part of the nature of threats is they're partly unknown, right? right? And so like people are going to gauge them differently. And that's just, especially when you have a group of people, like we were just saying, who are trying to build trust with each other and are under the same threat. If they're gauging them differently, then that can be a point of contention among them. It's now time for our sacred reading practice, and we are going to do Lectio Divina again. You have picked a sentence for us. What sentence have you picked? Totally at random. I opened the chapter to page 43 in my edition, and this is the sentence I read. Harry lowered his wand slightly, but did not relax his grip on it, nor did he move. Ooh. It's a long sentence, which is good for Lectio Divina. Okay, Matt. So step one of Lectio is what is literally happening in the sentence. And this is right when Harry figures out that it is Moody in the kitchen. Is that right? Yeah, I think he's I think he's just come down the stairs and he sees all these people in this kitchen and he says Professor Moody uncertainly and Moody it's so it's so Moody. It's so mad I Moody what Moody does. He says I don't know so much about professor cuz I barely taught, right? I barely taught at the yeah. school. And then and then they have this they continue having this encounter in the in the kitchen. And so what Harry is doing is lowering the wand as like an act of respect if it is indeed moody, right? He's like, okay, but he's not relaxing his grip on it. He's not like actually making himself less of a threat to moody in case it isn't moody. But he's trying to do a gesture of maybe I believe you. Yeah, I didn't see it necessarily as respect, although that's a viable reading, I think. I just saw it as like, oh, I'm only slightly less cautious, right? (laughs) Like, I'm very, I'm very, like, I'm on guard, I'm ready to attack, and now I'm still able to respond, but maybe this is okay. I just, like, a little bit of, like, hesitance or a little bit less caution. Yeah, which I... I see our two as overlapping. I see that as a side yeah, of, sign could. of respect. Yep. Not necessarily deference, but like, oh, yeah. you do not deserve yeah, right. to be actively threatened. So Matt, step two of Lectio Divina is allegory, where we ask ourselves if this sentence reminds us of any stories. I am wondering if you could read the sentence one more time for us. I'd love to. Harry lowered his wand slightly, but did not relax his grip on it, nor did he move. I mean, what I immediately think of is sort of like Westerns and like quick draw sort of situations. And so like when I was a kid, I was really into the Clint Eastwood spaghetti Western trilogy, right? The, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly and, and A Fistful of Dollars and For a Few Dollars More. I haven't watched them in a long time. I am sure they do not hold up in important ways today. <laughs> However, you know, with colonialism, et cetera. But boy, I really loved those movies back then. And there was a lot of quick draw, cautiously half lowering of weapons before you deploy the weapon (laughs) quickly. Yeah. How about you? What it reminded me of is like all of the old Hardy Boys, like covers where you often have like one light 
right? And like oh, several yeah. people behind you or right, like or a boxcar children cover or right, like yeah. any child mystery cover. There's usually one person at front. They have a flashlight or a lantern. And then there are a bunch of people behind them who are like, oh, what can I see? Or it's right. Like it's also a very Scooby-Doo like yeah, is, sort right. of formation. And that's what it reminds me of is these like it's become a trope, right? Where it's like one person yep. being scared and then a group of other people being scared and then sort of coming up to one another and realizing that there can be a cautious truce between them. So it reminds me of that. Scooby Doo. Like okay. So step three, Matt, is what does this line remind you of in your own life? Besides, uh, you, of course, the times that you've done gunslinging. Can you read the sentence one more time, please? Harry lowered his wand slightly, but did not relax his grip on it, nor did he move. Oh, it reminded me of something so sad that's happening in my own life. What is it? We have a mouse problem. We oh, no. have a, a mice problem, I should say. And... You know, we have cut off all the food supply. It was dog food that they were living off of very mm. happily. But, like, we've really cut off their supply. Like, everything is in bins. and But they yeah. are still just, like, running around hoping. And we know that they will lose faith and leave eventually. And so we just, like, see one skedaddle. And I, like, jump up. I'm like... <gasps> Maybe we can get it. And then I'm like, what? How am I going to get it? You know, like, what am I going to do? And these mice are smart. We have traps. They literally poop on our traps, literally. <laughs> and just like leave. And so I, this is my reaction to our mice. I'm always like, ah, a mouse. And then I'm like, there's nothing for me to do about this mouse. And so I lower my wand and I'm just like, I live here with you. Hmm. We live together. So yours I, is you less respect roommates. than resignation. Yours is like, yes. I guess you've moved in. There's no respect. I've lost a lot of respect for my rat hunting dog who has also just accepted <laughs> that the mice live here. She, like, no longer lifts her head. I'm like, dude, this is your job. And she's like, look, they've moved in. They pay rent. What about you, Matt? What does it remind you of in your own life? You know, I was thinking before I got ordained, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but before I actually entered the kind of ordination process, I had to do a psychological evaluation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that my evaluation noted is that I give trust easily. But when trust is broken, I, I'm very reluctant to give it back and this just made me think of like you know harry's been burned by moody before he put a lot of trust in moody last year and that lowering of the wand but not lowering it all the way maybe it's like i don't know is this moody i don't know that this is moody right and there's yeah. a way in which moody calls attention to that saying like yeah you're right you never really know i wasn't actually a professor at hogwarts you don't know me as a professor like you were talking about some other person who was deceiving you and in my own life, I just, I think about that. Like people who have hurt me professionally and personally, like I usually like turn inward and it's a long time before I fully lower my wand. Even if I'm talking and we're in the kitchen together, like it's usually a long time before I fully lower my wand. Okay, Matt, step four. What does this make us feel called to in our own life? I'll read it again. Thank you. Harry lowered his wand slightly, but did not relax his grip on it, nor did he move. 
One thing I'm thinking in respect to my last comment is the advance guard has a mechanism for dealing with this lack of trust, like we were talking about, right? They check in with each other. <laughs> Say like, okay, prove to me who you are. Prove to me who you are, right? Like in some of these, both the professional and personal relationships where I need to rebuild trust, like maybe I need to think more concretely about like, what are the actual things I can do if it's a trust I want to build, right? Presuming it's a relationship I want to be in again, or that both of us are hoping to build trust, even though I'm not feeling it yet. Like, what are the habits that we can undertake together so that I can feel safe and and fully lower my wand again? I mean, I'm not sure what those things are. And actually, I don't think that there's a universal technique for that, because depending upon the nature of the betrayal and the, the relationship, it'll be different, obviously, professionally versus personally, whatever. But maybe one thing that this situation signals to us is that there are concrete actions that we can take to try to get people to to feel if if not trust at least safety with one another again on the way to trust yeah what do you think i think that i'm just thinking about the things i need to sort of like raise my wand on again i just sometimes lose Mm. patience with things like i lose hope in recycling right i'm like well this doesn't actually get recycled should I get up and wash this thing in order for it to go into the recycling bin and most likely not get recycled anyway? And I just like, I need to raise my wand again on some things like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've just started driving without thinking about hopping on the bike. I've just like gotten lazy and some vigilance lately. And I, I need to recommit, hmm. even if it doesn't help with climate change, I think. It is like the right posture to have in the world. And so I need to stop being lazy (laughs) and just like get motivated again. Thanks for this sacred reading practice, Vanessa. Thanks for Lectio. I love Lectio. I love Lectio too. This is a great moment to say, wands up. I understand that that's why you love it. Wands up. This week, we have a voice memo from Emily. Hi, Vanessa Casper and everybody at this podcast. My name is Emily. I'm from Sacramento, California. I just learned about this podcast a couple months ago, and I just started binge listening to all of them. I am addicted, and I'm trying to tell everybody about them, but (laughs) uh, I think people are tired of hearing from me. Um, It's so inspirational, and I just have such a big, big space for you guys in my heart. I'm so grateful. I started reading the Harry Potter books to my friend's daughter. He just passed away and his wife is devastated. And I just wanted to do something special with his eight-year-old to help her kind of cope with the grief. And I just thought Harry Potter had some big themes in there and just opening up conversation around grief with her. It's been really healing. Um, we're, we're still in the first book. We just kind of started this project, but it's been really, you guys have really inspired me um, to do that. And I also just started a yoga teacher training and they talk about incorporating quotes and different ideas. And, and I am so excited to share the Harry Potter and the sacred text with every yoga class that I teach. I've written down so many quotes and poems and different books to read. And I'm just so inspired by you guys. I just wanted to say thanks and give you guys a big hug. And I'm so grateful and I'm inspired to try reading and walking with and going on some pilgrimages that you guys offer. I wish I had all the time and money in the world, but I just want to give you guys a big 
shout out and so much gratitude and love to you guys. So thanks. Keep up the good work. I'm just thrilled to hear about it and know about it now. So thanks again. Love you guys. Bye. Emily, thank you for the best voicemail ever. I, I love all the compliments and I love that you are like out there sharing the gospel of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I like to think of my mom as our greatest PR agent, but I'm happy for you to surpass her. I also just want to, you know, offer a blessing to you for stepping into this role in your friend's daughter's life. This is like a really big thing that you are doing by saying, I will be a place that holds grief with you. Whether or not Harry Potter ends up being the conduit for those conversations with her, I think that you being open to being part of those conversations, no matter how they happen, is really beautiful and courageous. And so just thank you for being the kind of person who's going to step into that. Yeah, I can't. But second, every one of Vanessa's comments, Emily, thank you so much, especially for for being there for your your friend's daughter. As you're listening to the podcast, you know, Vanessa and I and Casper and all of us here are in this work because we feel like the world isn't good at holding grief and needs to get better at it. And we think this is one way that we can. And it's really inspiring to us to hear about folks like you who are doing it in their own lives. So so thank you for that. And, and blessings to your your friend's daughter and their family. Now is the time in the episode when we remember those in our community who have been loved and lost. Rita Beard, 84, who was devoted to her family and who is reunited with her soulmate. Kenneth Fowler, 86, a master woodcarver and the best hugger. Silva Marcella Quelio, 39, a mother of three, a linguist, and a comedian. Bob Bogardus, 61, a quiet, faithful, and loving soul. Neil Cavanaugh, 69, a husband, father, grampy, and avid reader. Mary Julia, 91, who is fiercely devoted to her faith. Let light perpetual shine upon all of them. Vanessa, who are you blessing this week? I would like to wholeheartedly bless Mad-Eye Moody and all of his safety measures. I get teased for my safety measures and my obsession with safety and tonks mocks moody and i i think that i think that the mockery is important i think right like no one is actually going to die on this mission and moody is making this mission sound scarier than it is but he is concerned for safety and people aren't safe enough and so i love moody for this and there's this moment with his eye where he takes his eye out and he's like, my eye has never been the same since Barty Crutch Jr. wore it. And there's just like this constant, like annoying reminder that his body was violated in this way. And so, of course, he's safety conscious and everyone be patient with him. And I just I, I love him. 
wear a helmet. Don't text and drive. What about you, Matt? Who would you like to bless? You know, Vanessa, I would like to bless Tonks. Reading through the series the first time. She's so cool. She's so cool. And like, she's one of my favorite characters. I sometimes like would wish there was like a fan fiction or like a novel of Tonks' story to like just there maybe Tonks' story is. just like concurrent with what we see in the book or maybe her whole life story, whatever. She's just really cool. And like, I couldn't help but feeling sad when she showed up. This is when we're introduced to her character in the series. Those of us who have read the series before knows what happens to her and to, to Remus. And it just felt sad because she's great. And she's she's got such great energy and like positivity and kindness and caringness, but also a sense of humor and all that stuff. And, and it just made me sad that this is the beginning of the end. So blessings to Tonks and by extension to Lupin. Matt, next week I'm going to be doing an episode with the amazing Casper Kyle, and I'm so excited. And we are going to be reading Chapter 5, Book 4, Number 12, Grimald Place, through the theme of apathy. I can't wait to hear the episode and hear a conversation and to hear Casper. Just one reminder before we give our thanks, which is that you can subscribe for ad-free episodes either by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash Text, or by subscribing through Apple Podcasts. This has been a Not Sorry production, and we are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisal and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. Thanks this week to Emily for their voicemail, to Laura Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Casper Terkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of you who sent in the names of those you have loved and lost this week. also has such a good line where she's like yeah i almost failed whatever like deception in or the clumsiness portion yeah (laughs) Yeah. i know so so relatable talks i was almost a prima ballerina except that i'm too klutzy so like i get it you know